0: Podcast where We discuss the movie Tombstone minute by minute, and today we are continuing to discuss the credits. Uh, I'm your co-host, Rob, and still here, Joe. Yes, I remain. Um, I uh, want to sort of continue the nonsense I talked about with actors and the order they showed up uh, yesterday before I realized they were alphabetical after Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. But the next names we see here, we see Michael Rooker. We see John Tenney, who played uh, Behan. We see Dana Wheeler Nicholson, who was uh, Maddie, that poor actress. Um, We see Billy Zane, which at the time I was very disappointed he was so far down, but I guess that's what happens when you name search with Z. Um, And now we start getting like the paired groups. So we have uh, Buck Taylor, and Harry Carey Jr. I'm guessing they paired those two together because they um, both were like, you know, in previous westerns back in the uh, many years before. And then we have three names we have Tom, Thomas or Tomas Arena, Thomas Hayden Church, and John Corbet. Uh, Tomas Arena played still well. Thomas Hayden Church, of course, played Billy Clanton, and John Corbet played Barnes. I wonder if those guys were just sort of starting out newer actors. And then finally, Joe, we have a list of uh, four names, which I find interesting for uh, two things. One, uh, the four names are Pedro Armendariz, Frank Stallone, Billy Bob Thornton, and Cecil Hoffman. Now... Frank Stallone and Billy Bob Thornton. Do you think this is the only time they've ever shared uh, credits in a, in a movie? Was this, this probably the last time that ever happened or only time? I would. That's probably a pretty safe bet. Uh, and then the uh, first guy I mentioned, Pedro, was the priest that we see at the beginning. Now, I really racked my brain to try to figure out who Cecil Hoffman was. Do you have any idea who Cecil Hoffman is? Nope. Uh, it's a woman, and I thought that would make it easier, but I still couldn't figure out uh, who she was. And I'm pretty sure that she is the mother of the child that runs out into the road to catch his ball in front of the cowboys. And then Virgil scoops him up, and then he like moves the kid over to the mother, and then we see the mother, and she's got that like scar on her face. Mm -hmm. I think that's her strange that she's in these credits right like she didn't have a speaking role yep Uh, yep she's uh, credited as uh, Lucinda Hobbs Uh, but of course you know that didn't help to try to figure out who that was so that is what I have for actors and then the, the visual content ends it goes black and we see that Charlton Heston as Henry Hooker And then we see uh, narrated by Robert Mitchum. And at this point, Joe, this is when the credits start to scroll. Uh, Classic movie, just kind of scrolling through pretty quickly. Um, I did not dig into anyone after this point. Um, Do you have any thoughts or comments on any of those uh, actors or the order or maybe someone who seems missing to you? Or who cares? Nope, didn't even watch. Who cares? Okay, what do you want to talk about, Joe? Well,
1: so we've got, this is uh, the sixth to last episode. So we've got, n- not totally nailed down, but pretty much uh, topics nailed down for these uh, last six episodes since there isn't really any movie content to talk about anymore. And there's yep. no uh, like Marvel Cinematic Universe Easter egg at the end. Yep. Oh, that would have been awesome. So today I thought we'd talk about, the critical reception to this film. Okay? Uh, how, how was it received at the time? Uh, to some extent, how has how do contemporary audiences look back on it? And I pulled together some uh, information about that and some, some quotes from a few reviews that I thought were interesting or extremely wrong or extremely right that could maybe spark a discussion. Okay. So are you ready to dive in? I am ready. So uh, I guess at this point, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is sort of the go-to, right, for people when you're looking at how a movie was received. It has a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's not bad. Mm -hmm. That's based on 45 total reviews. If you click over to top critics, then they only pull from seven. And weirdly, and actually I just remembered this, uh, they don't include Roger Ebert's review of it. No, they do not. I do believe he did write one of it um maybe not
0: well i do know i i, I know he
1: commented on vel kilmer's performance
0: right yes so um i will i will let you kind of dive in to the reviews you have uh seen but i did uh i did today watch the four and a half minute long clip from siskel and ebert where um roger ebert and gene siskel talk about tombstone
1: yeah, because yeah, I can't find a, a written review, but I so the quote he has about Val Kilmer must be taken from the TV show then. Yes, probably. Okay. Is. Well, yeah. What so? What did they have to say about the movie?
0: Um. So, sure, I'll start with this. So it's interesting in that they this is from like a February episode, and they mentioned that they uh, didn't get a chance to see a screening of it because uh, it came out on December twenty sixth uh, or December twenty fourth. And he said that they weren't going to do anything on it, but he said yeah uh, Ebert kept saying he kept hearing people talk to about Val Kilmer in Tombstone. He said a lot of people were saying they liked the movie, and everyone kept talking about how great Val Kilmer is. And, he, and apparently, and I couldn't find the exact quote on this, maybe you did, but including President Bill Clinton <laughs> uh, in some interview or somewhere brought up how good Val Kilmer is in Tombstone. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I know. So... I watched the review, and Ebert is mostly positive about this movie. He uh, is a fan of uh, how great it looks. He thinks he talks a lot about how, and I think this is probably something you see in a lot of reviews you've read about the creative chaos that this movie came from. They fired the director, sort of all this stuff happening. Uh, but the the thing that's crazy that that uh, uh, Gene Sisko then talks about is. It it was a surprise hit. We kind of mentioned why it was it released in December, and it sounds like because of this creative chaos and the losing the director and all the stuff that happened, the studio was not confident in this movie. And both Ebert and Siskel seem to bring up that the critics didn't want to show this or the, the they film, didn't screen it for critics. They didn't want to screen it to so critics. That's
1: why there's so few
0: yeah reviews of it. Okay, I so was they just wondering didn't about have, that. They just didn't have confidence in this movie, which, is like looking back, is just. Then why absurd. release it on Christmas Eve? They must have just they must have just wanted to bury it.
1: Well, but that's not when you bury a movie.
0: I maybe at this point this would, would be a time when you do that. I don't think so. I don't think
1: things have changed that much. But maybe. Or maybe they wanted maybe they're like, it's not good, and we need to get this out as far ahead of Wyatt Earp as possible. That could be it.
0: Well, when Tombstone, the weekend it came out, December twenty fourth through twenty sixth um pelican brief was number one at the box office um and it was its second week in theaters mrs doubtfire was number two it was number five it was its fifth week and then the movies that opened um that weekend they it seems like they bear they, we had uh tombstone grumpy old men uh, and then a bunch of stuff i haven't heard of or didn't really um do the well oh, i guess oh philadelphia opened up on a, like four screens that same oh, day. Oh, just to get in for awards. Okay. For awards, yeah. yeah. But it does seem like, for the most part, some of the stuff was kind of, you know, buried a little bit. Hmm. I think it might be a different, a different sort of uh, world than the box office world we live in now, when holiday releases are are a big deal. I guess. Uh, I don't know, man. The weekend before Pelican Brief opened, Beethoven Second uh, also <laughs> yeah. opened. And Schindler's List was in 25 theaters. Oh, yeah. Well, that one. Okay. So, I
1: I bet that the I bet Wyatt Earp did have some something to do with it. I don't have any evidence to base that on, but I would assume the studios were racing to get it out. That and they just wanted to push it out. Hollywood Pictures probably got a little nervous. Didn't really feel super confident with Tombstone, so they figured let's get it out. This way, they're getting it out a full uh, six months ahead of Wyatt Earp. And, which, which they, I'm sure they maybe had
0: heard some things about, but had to have been worried about. Well, I think that, yeah, I think also because, um, you know, Kevin Costner is a huge star at this point. Yeah, and it
1: has Dennis Quaid, Gene Hackman, Lawrence Kasdan's directing it. I would yeah. have been more nervous about it. Yeah. Well, I can read Roger Ebert's first line of his review of Wyatt Earp. Okay. <laughs> Wyatt Earp plays as if they took Tombstone and pumped it full of hot air it involves many of the same characters and much of the same story but little of the tension and drama. Ouch. Yeah. Well, wait, we, we don't need to talk about that movie. We No. That's we do still not. TBD whether we will ever talk about that movie. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Well, so of the reviews that did come out, I I picked 3. Okay? Um the the first one I wanted to talk about and this one was pretty much all, most of the reviews were pretty mixed, especially uh, among the critics of the, the bigger publications. So I'll start with Stephen Holden, uh, the New oh, York know, the the Times. Criti- yeah, from the Times. Uh, and, I, and for all these reviews, I just kind of pulled two or three quotes from them, and I thought we could just talk about them. Uh, so start, the film has a very contemporary attitude toward alcohol and drug abuse, which kind of, I don't know what that exactly means although well, Wyatt's best friend Doc Holliday played by Val Kilmer executes a number of heroic deeds throughout the film he is a jaundiced perspiring wreck who is clearly drinking himself to death twice during the film he collapses from what appears to be liver failure and coughs up blood Um, I want to watch that movie again Steve <laughs> I think it's pretty clear why he's coughing up blood and it's not because yeah. of his liver <laughs> they only mention it about 18 times yeah um But, okay. So then, skipping ahead a little bit. Freighted with all the sociological and psychological baggage, Tombstone is really two movies loosely sewn together, which I would agree with this. One is a conventional Western in which Wyatt and his brothers Morgan and Virgil set out to save Tombstone from the clutches of an outlaw gang. The other is a self-consciously digressive meditation on the iconography of the Hollywood Western. Hmm. Uh, Do you see any of
0: that latter part of that i i don't i i i think i've read this review before i doesn't he also kind of praise the josephine character in his review yeah to some yeah
1: not flamboyant praise but but he does praise it so he, he if i remember correctly from this one he does seem to think that this movie makes an effort to sh- to portray women in a positive way and in a progressive way particularly and, her.
0: And that's something that Ebert actually mentions on his as well about how unlike most westerns at least this movie tries to portray women which i guess the bar is just so low. Yeah. That any attempt is is um kind of lauded.
1: Yeah, and i don't i don't know if i buy the it being a digressive meditation on the iconography of the Hollywood Western. I, I think they're giving it a little bit too much credit there. Yeah, I think so too. So if White Herb's decision to meet violence with violence accords with classic Western tradition, his cautiously allowing himself to love Josephine while still married belongs to a different moral universe. I don't, I don't really buy that or get that either. It's a measure of Mr. Russell's thoughtful understated performance that this deci- decision carries real weight. It says Mr. Russell, yeah, that's something that some critics do when they talk about actors. Okay. But yeah, it's a little bit too formal. Tombstone, so the final word here, and then we can maybe t- talk about it. Tombstone is fi- is finally a movie that wants to have it both ways. It wants to be at once traditional and morally ambiguous. The two visions don't quite harmonize. So I, a pretty mixed
0: review. I agree with that last, that last paragraph there.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, I think that it... It, it seems to be it, it like has like a really like college aged view on, on <laughs> sort of philosophy and morality where it, it has not quite figured itself out. Um, OK, so make, b- moving ahead to Richard Harrington writing for The Washington Post. OK, uh, here's one that I think I, I really agree with this first part. In Tombstone, the leaders of the Cowboys see more inept bullies and dirty little cowards than dangerous criminals. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, this applies to such leaders as Johnny Ringo, Curly Bill, and Ike Cladden, all of whom seem to be having more fun with their roles than the Erps. I also agree with that. I think those actors, not so much Michael Bean playing Johnny Ringo, but I think that, uh, Curly Bill and Ike Cladden, they're clearly having fun. Yeah. Uh, Sam Elliott is not. No. <laughs> no. But I, I think Kurt Russell kind of is, and, and Bill Paxton definitely was, but yeah, whatever. Okay. This, uh, this, I think, is more on point with, with the, how the movie deals with women. There's a subtext dealing with women, but like much else on the character front, it seems to have been excised along the way. The Earps all have wives, but they are all they are treated as children, seen but seldom heard. The only woman who gets to express herself is Dana Delaney as an actress who becomes the love of White Earp's life, which ran 40 quiet years past this fabled showdown at the OK Corral. That incident is treated here as more... Uh, accident than fate and diminished by subsequent montage style shootouts that seem ridiculously stylized which we also agree with as for the romance it's flatter than a cow pie after
0: a stampede (laughs) jeez i mean there is definitely i think these critics are and we've talked about a lot and i think just the creative craziness this came out of it results in this but there are two movies that are happening here Mm -hmm. and i don't i'm not great at defining what they are but there is sort of like two different forces at work during this movie because i think i think it's at its best during these sort of character scenes um you know with when val kilmer can do his thing or when uh when uh wider berates um johnny tyler and it's these sort of like verbal showdowns more than anything else but then there's these these action f- parts that take a lot of screen time but then you also have these romance sequences that take way too much screen time and i think ultimately the problem is there's these individual moments in this movie which are i would argue incredible um but that it's sort of clouded by this a lot of just, junk yeah, by junk and just I think overarching plot line that doesn't entirely work. That there's just a couple things missing to to tie it together. I, that said, I still love this movie. I'm just you know we're we're talking about it critically, and I think um, that's why we're being critical right now.
1: Yeah, no one wants to listen to us just talk about how awesome it is, and no one wants us to rip on it the whole time either. No, but I, I do think that like it, it kind of it's weird, you know, as a sort of a thoughtful you know, consumer of film, that you, you want movies to move past the sort of sexism, either overt sexism or sexism by omission. Yep. Uh, or race, overt racism or racism by omission. And then you watch these movies that, like, sort of seem to, like, make an effort to include female characters and to to give at least some of them some semblance of, like, individual agency and independence and intelligence but then like your face when it's when they're they try and they fail like i think they do in this movie you you sort of feel weird because you say like they should just get rid of all the female characters yeah because it would make it a a better movie but then does it also make the movie more problematic is it better to include these things and at least demonstrate an effort or does it do more harm I don't know. than good? Because I mean, I because the treatment of these female characters is so boring and and awful that that maybe it, it sets
0: sort of that cause back. I would I guess I would argue from an industry standpoint, it's probably best to try and fail than anything else. It's sort of like um, you know when uh, Wonder Woman came out recently there was all this pressure on that movie to do well and to be good. And by all accounts, it sounds like it is, but what's not fair is that if it wasn't good, that doesn't mean that having a female superhero was the wrong choice. It's just, it just could be a movie wasn't good. Like it it shouldn't have that pressure of having to like, well, if this isn't good, then, you know, (laughs) we can't do this anymore. I think that's the problem is, um, we could just that sort of pressure uh isn't fair and i guess so they answered the a question i guess it's worth trying i guess as i do a as we do a minute by minute i just wish those minutes didn't exist because i don't <laughs> think they add to the movie or maybe quite honestly they just should have been simpler and um we should have just you know instead of a whole week of horseback riding maybe there's like uh 30 second to 45 second montage of them going on a date and we don't you know we sort of can feel that in that amount of time like less is more I you could have know. just had a
1: couple scenes where they just look at each other and don't even talk to each other yeah i mean you've
0: just met that women up.
1: before in your life right yeah not not since you were married of course but like a lot happens in the in those moments just like making i i mean i wouldn't know from experience because women well, look at because well, you're you're generally looking down at your feet yeah i'm also not avoiding <laughs> eye contact but i'm told <laughs> that those moments can be pretty powerful and i think they were really are pretty powerful in, the, in movies too of course but yeah i don't know we've talked about that enough i guess um so to the the uh mr harrington wraps it up he says too much of tombstone rings hollow in retrospect not much happens and little that does seems warranted there are so many unrealized relationships, you almost hope for redemption in a longer video version. Oh, no. This one is unsatisfying and unfulfilling. Well, I can tell you that there is one, and it is not not more fulfilling. Well, actually, I don't know that I, I haven't seen it in so long. I don't really remember. But you looked into that stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, it's only a couple minutes longer. Oh, okay. um, interesting. Right. And then our last one by... Owen Gleiberman writing for Entertainment Weekly who is still still at it. Uh, so th- and this is what I thought from looking at these these reviews some some of the critics are st- talk a lot about how the film was clearly you know trying to uh, one one critic says explicitly that the film was clearly influenced by Unforgiven. And, and that it's it's clearly attempting to be to to occupy a place in that new generation of of, of Westerns that are sort of aware of the the sexism and uh, racism of past Westerns and is trying to move it forward as, as we move into the late 20th century. And then you get a, uh, a review like Open Gleiberman's where he comes out in the first, I believe this is the beginning of it. How can you tell that Tombstone isn't a revisionist Western like Unforgiven or a politically conscious art Western like Geronimo, but a big, messy smorgasbord of old Cleet cliches? You could tell because the characters wear mustaches that would have looked right at home on the Carol Burnett show.
0: <laughs> what?
1: Yeah, um, okay. Uh, the, and, uh, don't worry, he keeps going with this. As Wyatt Earp, the retired peacemaker who shows up in Tombstone, Arizona to become a businessman, Kurt Russell sports a trim, sensible handlebar job, as cocky and angular as he is. By contrast, his brother, the honorable slowpuck Virgil, brandishes <laughs> an upper lip that looks as plushy, comf- plushly comfortable as an old sofa. Then there's Doc Holliday, gambler, gunslinger, and dandy. With his fussy, waxed ends and Van Dyke, he might be a musketeer who got lost on the range. In this movie, mustaches aren't just fashion, they're character, the hairy signposts of a man's worth.
0: <laughs> hairy signposts of a man's worth.
1: Wow. And then uh, he. I mean, he as you might guess, did not like this movie. Set in a lawless boomtown that's so stagey and prefab, I expected to see modern-day tourists wandering through it. Oh, that's
0: not fair. That's a dumb. That's one makes me
1: mad. Yeah, I this I didn't take any more from this review because it was just I thought kind of ridiculously over the top negative. <laughs> but uh, but I I just included it because I thought it was so interesting, and I I, I apologize I didn't actually include quotes from the reviews that said this but there were more than one that said that it, it, it it's definitely trying to take the next step in that sort of unforgiven revisionist western style but uh, which I actually don't totally really agree with too much I think it think to, it does question violence and and I think it, it does feature a character that that carries the weight of sort of regret and guilt around with him but obviously yeah. not nearly in as nearly a nuanced and interesting way as unforgiven does but it does try yeah and it and and he carries that philosophy like that perspective with him for over an hour into
0: this movie if if this movie had never existed before and it came out this summer i think it's a hit right hmm because I think more and more, I think movies, yeah, I think it is a hit. I think people more and more want to have fun, <laughs> and they want movies that are fun. And I think for the most part, this movie is very fun. It is an enjoyable time.
1: I I don't know if it comes out in the summer if it's a hit, but like if it came out in in March or something like that, I could see it being like a sneaky hit. Okay, you know, because you have expectations. Didn't make Magni- the Magnificent Seven the next, the most recent remake. Didn't that come out last summer or am I wrong on that? Um, Maybe that was I in the spring remember. actually. Yeah, I think I'm wrong. Or might even been the fall. I've named all the seasons now. Uh, <laughs> One of those. Anyways, uh, I don't September. I never September. Even watched it. It
0: looked bad, but September of 2016.
1: Okay. So, um, so yeah, the critical reception again, like I, like I said, not many out there because they, it looks like they didn't screen it for, for critics but you know where you can find plenty of reviews oh no amazon.com oh man we should save those joe we're saving them
0: oh i guess we're 26 save minutes them. already yeah we have we have five more episodes to talk about the credits okay maybe how about this how about uh well you should find a good one for every minute that's coming up
1: uh that's a good idea one two well i had one two three four five i had six so how about we can okay. do one today
0: Okay, let's do that. I All like right, it. and
1: then I'll, I'll save the rest for... Actually, I have two, I, two of them are just one line, so I'll use do both of those. Okay. Uh, here's one that I know you're going to like. This is just the title of the review. I didn't copy the rest. Here lies Lester Moore in a mediocre movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then like uh, the next one... Went to the actual town this summer and was told by some of the OK Corral, and OK is spelled OK-A-Y, some of the OK Corral actors that the movie was not correct. Disappointed.
0: (laughs) Oh, thanks, Amazon. (laughs) Good stuff. Do you have anything else, Joe?
1: No, I'll just, I'll save the, I'll have some more uh, Amazon reviews uh, for next week.
0: That sounds good. Um, and we'll have another Huckleberry next week. Actually, we'll have two Huckleberries next week. Yeah. Trying to mix up a little bit. Uh, and we'll be back uh, Monday with minute 126 and our last week of Tombstone Minute, Joe. All right. All right. See ya.